0: To a new series from the messy reformation there's been a lot of discussion and deliberation coming out of synod 2022 around issues of sexuality much of the discussion has focused on whether the decisions made were good or bad helpful or hurtful however synod made some other declarations that we need to pay attention to synod repeatedly encouraged churches throughout the crc to start having discussions about what it looks like to do pastoral care with those who are sexually struggling Synod stated that the Human Sexuality Report offered sound introductory guidance for churches that should serve as conversation starters on how to best do pastoral care in these circumstances. Synod also stated that continuing conversation around pastoral care might have a powerful influence on elements of congregational life, such as gospel preaching, faith formation, the diaconate, our missional calling, the sacraments, and church discipline. With these strong encouragements from Synod for continued conversation on the topic of pastoral care for the sexually struggling, the Messy Reformation has decided to begin having some of those conversations, and we plan on dropping these episodes every Wednesday evening. We want to state right away at the beginning of each episode that we view these conversations as the beginning of a conversation. There's no way we can comprehensively discuss every element of pastoral care in such a small period of time. However, we want to start having the conversation and build from here. It's also important to remember that conversations go both ways. We don't want these conversations to remain between the people on the podcast. We want you to get involved as well. As you're listening to these conversations, we would love for you to be in conversation with us. We'd love for you to write down any questions, concerns, or pushback you may have, or anything you really loved about each episode. Then send that feedback to us at themessyreformation at gmail.com. We'll use your feedback to help us build future episodes to further answer your questions and concerns and then further the conversation. We're really excited about the opportunity to begin moving this conversation forward in a way that equips the saints, builds up the church, and brings glory and honor to God. So, get your pens and journals and enjoy the next conversation in our series, Pastoral Care for the Sexually Struggling. Dave, why don't you tell us um, kind of how you got involved in this conversation? And then after you're done, I'll kind of I'll kind of hand it off to Kat to tell her story of it.
1: Well, I'd actually like to start with my father. My father, when I was in, the, I think, the fifth grade, I was 12 or 13 years old. I think I was 12. He had to talk with me. So he sat down. All the all the girls were gone. My mother was gone, so it was just me and dad at home. And, of course, that was arranged. But he said, we're going to talk about sexuality. And he seemed to know enough to have a piece of paper in front of us, and he was drawing stick figures. I mean, not like anatomically correct or anything, but like person A and person B, and this is male and female. The reason I think he did that is that my eyes could be on the paper then instead of – like looking at my dad when he's talking to me about this stuff and he spent probably an hour with me, you know, mm-hmm. here's, here's how God made bodies. This is what male and female means. Here's what you're going to start feeling. Maybe you already have. Um, I thought everybody's dad did this and I found out mm-hmm. almost nobody's dad does this. And he would have update conversations. You know, I'm going to talk to you about venereal disease, this meeting. And um, menstrual periods that women have, and uh, how that might affect them wanting to swim with you in a pool, or all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, I grew up in a yeah. home where we talked about this, and your body was a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, that kind of conversation in my home was, was really quite amazing. And then, when I was in college, my best friend in my junior year came out to me. This is in 1974. And I already loved him and knew him. And, you know, he got real quiet one night and and kind of haltingly started. And then just all it came out. And we spent like three hours talking. I asked him all kinds of questions. Um, He stood up at my wedding. I really hadn't thought about um, same sex. I hadn't thought about homosexuality except the typical jokes you hear when you're in high school and so on. So I entered into the conversation through a relationship of love, and um, that's a gift to me from God. I I didn't go looking for that. And then as soon as I became a pastor, within a year or two, I had several men come into me and say, I'm gay and um, I'm Christian and I don't know how to put these together. So I started reading and meeting with them and listening to them. And then I started preaching. We would preach a series of sermons on sexuality every other year. And I would always include, this is already in the um, late 80s and early 90s, um, a sermon on homosexuality. And um, I don't know that anyone else was doing it. And I really credit my father and my friend from college. Um, But I think the main thing for me was God gave me the gift of entering into this conversation, not as a theory or a paper or something I needed to get straight because I wondered what was going on. And no, it was actually through people that I loved and cared for. And he's he's given me three elders and two deacons who were um, same-sex attracted, who I worked with uh, during my tenure as a pastor. And in three trans people in my congregation, that's been kind of a growing edge understanding for me over the last couple of years. And um, having conversations with Kat, for example, um, and just listening to her and asking her questions has been, for me, a gift. Because anytime someone has to live the Christian life and they have a costliness or a cost to it that I'm not familiar with, I want to know about that. I want to know what it means for them to follow Jesus and what it means for them to love him in a current of culture that seems to be going against them. So I have great respect for cat. And, um, and, and I also feel like um, I've had people who have said to me, I feel like you make room for me who I am. And you're curious about me. You don't, put me in a box first. And I say the same thing to them. I feel like you're doing that for me. Um, In other words, I'm not getting dehumanized or labeled. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the benefit of uh, it not being a theoretical thing. Right. But when you, when you're dealing with real people, you realize it's a, it's really complex and, uh, and you don't get into the, black and white stuff or just assuming everything, you realize really every situation and every person you encounter is coming at it from a different, you know, a different angle with a different struggle.
1: Yeah, I've said to people, look, you've called me to be your pastor. The church trained me. I should know the Bible really well. In fact, part of the um, values of my education at Calvin University and then Calvin Seminary was You don't just exegete the Bible, but you better do that well. You need to exegete the culture as well. And so, yes, it's complex, but um, I am going to bring to the table um, some well-thought-through biblical um, challenges and callings from the Lord. I don't know your world. Please help me understand it. But I should know the Bible quite well, and I'm going to tell you what I think the Bible says. Yeah. And sometimes that's going to feel black and white. Um, I probably didn't use that language, but yeah, anyway. sure. I I want to throw it over to Kat.
0: Yeah, Kat, why don't you uh, kind of give us your story of how you um, kind of got into these kind of conversations?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Pastor Dave, for saying the the curious part, I think that that, that was really crucial. Um, and just as crucial for, for what I look for, uh, as a, as I'm trying to identify a safe person, um, as opposed to somebody who can figure me out, I'm looking for a person who can really be curious about who I am and understand me. And so I think as I look back at my childhood, um, and wrestling with sexuality and gender, um, I didn't have many people in my life who were going to be curious about me um, and and try to get to know me in that way, uh, especially when I came out. So I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, I grew up um, in a Baptist kind of environment um, within Michigan. Uh, So, you know, the northern uh, part of the U.S. and really focusing on what it means to follow God uh, and how to follow the law uh, and, and what type of person he really wants you to be and not really about how he wants to know you um, and how he wants this intimate relationship with you. Um, so that was kind of a missing piece for me growing up when it, when it comes to my context about how, who Jesus was and how, how do I facilitate that relationship? Um, so from a young age, I always felt just a little bit different. Um, I was always a, a tomboy, um, so biologically uh, born female, and but always felt and gravitated toward boy things, um, <clears throat> whether that was with dress or playing with them at recess and playing football and basketball and stuff like that. And So I was very athletic, and um, I just kind of started being me uh f- trying to figure out who that was and it wasn't until you know middle school and then high school that you're really starting to figure out I don't think I'm talking about boys the way that most of my peers are talking about boys um and things like that and so um yeah I went off to college on a, a basketball scholarship and really left church um behind me and really used that time to, okay, who am I? Uh, And and really figuring that out. um, Because I I really didn't see myself as the Christian type. Uh, Nobody was talking about the LGBT community. Um, I was discovering that I was so different. And I didn't seemingly have a place at the table. And so I just kind of concluded that I wasn't the Christian type. um, And also wasn't very feminine. And within the throes of like, purity culture and purity movement of understanding what it is to be feminine, um, in a godly way. And I concluded that I was not very feminine. Therefore, I must be dishonoring God by not embracing this femininity and not wanting to. Um, and so that those types of things kind of, you know, led me to my own conclusion that I wasn't, I wasn't the Christian type. And so as I'm at college, um, I find myself in a same-sex relationship, uh, this, this woman felt the same way, um, that I felt about her, which I thought would never happen. Um, and so we started, uh, kind of a secret relationship, but, but quickly kind of came out and was out on, on the college campus, um, was outed to my parents. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really ready to be out. I didn't really know what was going on with me. Um, and so it was outed to my parents. And all of a sudden I have all of this stuff that I have to start immediately unpacking. And so to me, from what I was not hearing in the church, meaning LGBT education, or how we feel about the people who are LGBT, it was always a conversation about those people out there, Hmm. which is kind of why it was surprising to me that I was gay. um, Because I was like, I thought that you would know right like you it's it's a conscious decision or decisions that you make along the way that all of a sudden lead you to this place that now you're twisting sexuality and so it was to kind of my surprise that i didn't seemingly try to twist anything i just was that um and so the silence and then also uh hearing and seeing the picketing and everything like that that was kind of happening at that time um you know like just just really hard, horrible things. Uh, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God hates fags, things like that. I probably, I, I thought that my church didn't necessarily align with the picketers, but they weren't saying what parts and how much they disagreed with the picketers. And so that wasn't really clear to me. Uh, so it felt more and more like I didn't really have a place to belong. So I start dating, um, and really try to get the needs of my soul and my heart met through women and through relationships and women seeing me desiring who I am. Cause I had this, this deep need for intimacy. Um, and I didn't understand that God actually one wanted to fill that and that he could. So as I'm dating, I, you know, I'm jumping from relationship to relationship. I find myself into a, like a three and a half year relationship. I started thinking about marriage and what I wanted marriage to be, um, what I saw our life like. And I always saw church as a part of that. Um I felt that there was something true about this Jesus guy. I just couldn't really place it. And maybe, maybe he didn't work out for me, but he would work out for my wife and maybe my kids. And so I convinced her to go um back to church and to try a church with me. And so we went to this mega church and and it started attending. Um, and I found myself like really locked up when I would go in, uh, was really just a ton of fear that I was walking in with. Like, do they think that I'm a guy? Um, because I was at sometimes like a lot of the time passing, I know we haven't really talked about the gender piece yet, but passing is male. And so I didn't know, yeah, if people knew if we were two women together or what all of that was like, um, as well as just being in the church and, and what do they believe? I don't, you know, I don't know. So keep going. And there was this particular song that hit me on a particular Sunday um, where the singer was just talking about um, and calling out all this fear that I was living in. Mm. Um, So like, just, just calling it out, like proclaiming it over me. You are no longer a slave to fear but you are a child of God. And describing how he, uh, my desire to unravel my soul to just how tired I was. I was so tired of trying to get the needs of my heart met, of trying to be strong, of trying to keep everything together. Um, and that's kind of when I I was um, waking up to this other piece of My experience. So sexuality, but before then I really didn't have any language for somebody who struggled with gender identity. And so in that kind of moment, I'm getting hit with you are fearful of bathrooms, like public bathrooms, that that isn't just a thing that you don't like because who likes public restrooms anyway? But you know, you are you're terrified of going into the women's room because you feel like you are an imposter. Um, you don't feel like you fit. I feel like I was going into the wrong room. I would, I would wait it out. I would wait till I f- felt like everybody had cleared that, that's that, um, you know, the women's room, I would wait. I I wouldn't drink coffee on the way to church. I would monitor my liquid intake because I was so afraid of not necessarily, not treatment men of going in the men's room, but what would people say as they seemingly see this, this, teenage boy or younger looking boy trying to jet into the bathroom. And so that's when it started to kind of hit me that like, there was something deeper going on with my gender is that, that I felt more male. I, I, and I always had wanted to be male. And then I'm starting to wake up the fact that like, okay, in the relationships that I have, I'm actually much more comfortable being the guy and, and being called, I could never use the term lesbian uh, because I didn't feel that was too feminine of a word. Um, so I always said that I was gay. And those types of things just all of a sudden started to click in my mind. And so now as I'm kind of becoming a Christian, I'm opening up to maybe God and like what He, I'm like, okay, I've tried for 10 years to run my own life. What do you have? You know, do, do you have something different for me? Because I'm tired. And I'm hungry and I'm needy and I'm thirsty and I'm depleted like all of these things. And so I'm like, I'm ready to actually know who are you? Are you real? Are you even there? So I found a smaller church environment. Um, My cousin was the the drummer there and I asked him if I could go to church with him. He said, absolutely. Like he was so excited to, to have me come along and I started attending and had a Another kind of radical experience where I just was like, every Sunday, I was just weeping and crying. I I was just getting flooded with the love of God. And he felt so tender and kind and welcoming and inviting. And so I keep attending. And one particular Sunday, a woman came up to me uh, after, after the service and she looked kind of nervous and um said, Hey, sometimes I, I see that you you come in late and sometimes you don't have anybody to sit with, but you can always sit with me and my family. Um, I have two little daughters over there and and you you're welcome. I will save a seat for you. And so I I kind of did this internal eye roll of like, okay, good Christian girl, woman, <laughs> you know, like you invited me to come sit with you and now it's awkward. So I probably won't ever take you up on that. But uh, you know, I was. I did notice that her boldness to do that. And I'm like, that must've been really hard to like generate a conversation out of thin air. And so um, I was like, you're at church, make an effort. Uh, So, you know, she asked me what I did for work and I told her and she said, um, I asked her, you know, back, what do you do? And she said, well, my husband and I have a ministry and we're working to bridge the gap between the LGBTQ community and the church. Hmm. I was floored. When I left the church in 2007, nobody was talking about LGBT anything, let alone bridging any gaps (laughs) or bridging Mm -hmm. anything. So I was, I felt so seen in that moment and not by her. I felt seen by God that you've got to be kidding me. You put me in this church, this one. And so I immediately forgot the name of her, of her ministry, of who she was. And so I just kind of continued on living my life. And I, I was seeing a counselor as I had recently um, come out as trans and um, what felt okay with actually identifying that way. And dysphoria just started ramping up. Um, and I was I was getting to the point where I was like, I need to make a decision of how I'm going to live my the rest of my life. Um, is it going to be God? And am I, you know, I was kind of doing that anyway. I was figuring out what is, who is he really? But then also like, if I'm going to transition, I want to do it now because I want to like live the rest of my life. I don't want to be reevaluating every five years. And so as I was meeting with a counselor who is a secular counselor, um, I'm telling her about this dysphoria that I didn't really understand and know, but I had had it, like I found out, like I had it my whole life. And she kind of, her response in this distress that I was bringing to her was let me know when you're ready to transition and I will get you hooked up with the right people. Like I'll refer you to the right people so that we can get you started on hormones and transitioning. And I got to tell you, I felt really uncared for in Mm -hmm. that moment because it was like, I was a problem to be fixed and not a person to be known. Mm -hmm. Like we weren't going through my, my, my perception of masculinity and femininity, we weren't talking through my warped sense of sexuality. I, I didn't, I didn't need any help to to know that that was warped of how I was objectifying and all of these different things that I knew were just so broken. Um, we weren't going there. We, it was like, I was self-diagnosing. Hmm. And I was like, no, I want to, I want to know if this is the best road for me. And so it was, just really seemingly, you know, and I'm sure that we would have done other things. So I'm not trying to like write that off completely. I think that there's, there's good things that that would have probably happened in exploring that, but by the grace of God, he just was like, come to me. Hmm. And that's when I remember Lori, um, Lori Krieg. And uh, I reached out to her and I said, I'm tired of hearing what the world has to say about my gender. I'm tired about hearing what like, conservatives for lack of a better term or my parents have to say about my gender identity what does God think about me who does he say that I am and what does he even think about me is he going to condemn me or I'm ready to to finally unpack everything and I'm ready to actually listen here and so her response was you know to what does God think about me was I don't know But I'm willing to walk with you as we figure that out. And so she began discipling me and mentoring me and unveiling who Jesus is and how he saw me. Um, And that was, yeah, like five or six years ago. And I've just been on this this journey and this road um, with God and understanding how he sees me and how he's uniquely and individually created me to be who I am.
0: Yeah. Well, praise God. That's a that's a great story, Kat. I appreciate that. And you know, I think as I was as I was listening, you know, just some of the, the similarities between what you were saying and Dave was saying. Um, you know, when she said she didn't try to come up with an answer, like you weren't saying, what does God know about this issue? You were like, What is how what does God have to say about me? Like who I am. And she's like, Well, let's figure that out together. And uh, I think that's a really, that takes a lot of humility. Cause I think, um, mm. you know, I, I had told you coming into this, we have a lot of, uh, you know, more conservative people listening to this. And I feel like most of us or them, whatever you want to say, they, they feel this tension to like, I got to have an answer and I got to have it now, rather than just saying, let's just talk and let's try to figure out and, and have a conversation, get to know one another and, uh, and have that, that you had talked about that curiosity um, being a really, being a really important, important thing. That's all we have for this week's pastoral care conversation. Stay tuned next week to hear Dave and Cat talk about gender stereotypes, compassionate curiosity, and the importance of courage. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and He bought it with His blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.